Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 51 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, I encourage you to go back and check out any of the previous episodes you may have missed as I've had some incredible guests on and we have had some great content and discussion. And I have no doubt that will continue today as I'm joined by another amazing guest, Jake Fisher, contributor at Bleach Report, author, and all-around great basketball mind. Jake, welcome to the Motor City Hoop podcast and thank you for joining me. Man, that's way too kind of intro, but thank you so much. It's, It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to, to talk Detroit Pistons with you for a little bit here. So um, today's episode will be a little shorter. We'll go about 30 minutes. No around the NBA segment. I'll have that back next episode. But we're going to get Jake's thoughts on the offseason from Troy Weaver in the front office, how he sees this upcoming season, pl- season playing out, and what he sees for the future of the Pistons organization. To start us off, Jake, we got to talk about the number one pick and fan favorite, Cade Cunningham. Was this your number one guy coming into the draft? And what do you think about his game coming out of college and maybe even a little bit of what you saw in summer league? So I think the Pistons, you know, the Cade Cunningham dynamic was interesting from the jump. I've definitely said this before publicly, um, but I remember I was on the ground in Chicago at the Combine um the night of the lottery and there was pretty quickly you know the text started flying around the league after um the pistons got that number one selection that you know maybe the front office was kind of split on who to pick and there was certainly uh, a, a strong rumbling if you will that troy weaver definitely favored evan mobley there was a lot of connections to usc um, and to Mobley himself, I- I'm blanking off the top of my head because it's been a while exactly what those direct connections were. Um, but I don't think it was always straightforward Cade Cunningham, but clearly he became the guy. Clearly he is the guy. And overall, he's been the guy, I think, for years. I think you go back to, I think it was the 2019 U19 Team USA, um, where, I mean, th- that's where a lot of these the scouting opportunities ahead of these guys going to college and how their rankings in the NBA world, where they come from. And he's been the guy since then pretty much throughout, pretty much throughout the Oklahoma state game uh, and his, you know, his season. Um, and I think Anthony Edwards was similar a year prior where he kind of was the guy for a long time and that's rare. So, you know, the Pistons fans, should be pretty, I think, happy and content that they've got someone who's been considered the top prospect in this class by, I'd say, the majority of NBA talent evaluators for, for quite a bit here. Yeah, and that's what I said. Is it's one thing to get the number one pick. It's another thing to get the number one pick in a draft where 
I know, like you said, there was some talk about Evan Mobley as things got closer. There was even some Jalen Green and reports or, you know, at least rumblings, like you said, that maybe the some people in the organization at least like some other guys. But I feel like for the most part, it was Cade Cunningham was the consensus number one guy. And so it's really special when you get that guy or you get the number one pick in that draft class. And, and I feel like Cade Cunningham has been as advertised. And I know he's really endeared himself to Detroit and Pistons fans really appreciate that. But I want to talk about another pick. And one that was really polarizing when it happened and uh, Jake and that is Luca Garza so uh, can you give uh, just a little perspective on what you thought of Luca Garza coming out of college did you think he was going to get drafted and what do you think about a career for himself in the NBA do you think he's going to carve out a role for him you know I want to be clear in that like I used to be far more of a college scouter type media guy like when I was at Sports Illustrated I worked a lot of night shifts and would stay up till 2 a.m. pretty much every night watching late night Pac-12 games and late night Big 12 games and all that type of stuff. But nowadays I just I don't do it as much. So um, and, uh, Luca, I had heard, was like the best player in college basketball. And when I actually got to watch him play a little in the tournament um, and then when I went to the combine and I remember watching him in three on three there. I mean, he is what he is. He's a skilled big guy who can shoot the three. And that's going to at least give him a look in the league. Will he stick around? You know, we'll see. Um, I mean, the athleticism is obviously a big question defensively. But if he can hold his own at least. And like George's Niang was someone who, like, has been really working on his body and uh, came from the, that Big 12 as more of a, uh, a shooting big as well. And I'm, not, I'm not comparing them. I think they're, they're pretty different body types and pretty different players, but there's at least a path for someone who has defensive questions and athleticism questions but can shoot it and is tall and is savvy, and that's what Luca Garza is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. And, and he changed. He transformed his body, you know, between the end of – um, the, the college season and, and summer league. And I actually was fortunate enough to be there for the first summer league game out in Vegas. And, you know, the reports were he lost 20, 30 pounds. And you could tell, like, I mean, he looked good. Now the, the feet were still heavy. And I think defensively, it's still an issue. But I think offensively, you know, like you said, if you can provide something that of that much value offensively, then I think, you know, it gives you a chance. So I want to talk about a, you know, move forward into the Detroit Pistons free agency and, and the, the guy they brought in, I think really because of that offense, because the Pistons lacked shooting last year was Kelly Olynyk. That was by far the biggest name. Um, not a ton of spending money anyway. What, what do you like um, or what do you see in Kelly Olynyk as a player? Do you think that was a good fit? And did you like that move when you heard that was being, that was happening? Um, I'm a big fan of Kelly Olynyk. I, I talked to him a lot uh, for my book, actually. Um, he was a big part of the Boston Celtics, Brad Stevens, you know, rebuilding teams that I cover in there. And, um, I caught him in the lock when he was in Miami in the locker room in Denver one time and, and New York and somewhere else. Um, he's a really stand up dude. I think when, when he gets hot, he can shoot that thing, obviously. Um, I think he's more skilled than people give him credit for. And he's always just kind of fit in and been well liked, I think, wherever he's been. So, if, if he's coming in as more of a veteran type of presence and someone who can pick and pop with Kate and give him space to operate, 
you know, why not? I, I think I think it's definitely a strong fit. What is, is there anything else with, with Kelly Olynyk's game that maybe people don't recognize or don't see? Because the shooting is highlighted a lot, Jake. Like, you know, that's, again, like I said, the, the Pistons struggled to shoot the basketball and space the floor last year. As a fan, that's what I felt like anyway. And, and obviously Olynyk can do that. Is there any other aspect of his game that's maybe going overlooked? Like, is he a better rebounder than maybe people are giving him credit for? Or, or does he, you know, I, I know there's a lot of talk in Houston where he almost played a little bit of an initiator role, you know, kind of, I mean, I'm not sure he's going to get that role in Detroit, but is there an underrated aspect of his game that, that you um, have seen or maybe isn't talked enough about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's more capable of putting the ball on the floor than people really expect. Um, you know, the, the best shooters, they evolve by using the threat of their shot, right, to put the ball on the board on, on the floor, attack closeouts, get to the rim. And he's not doing that regularly, right? Like he's not getting to the basket and finishing around guys, but he can make some plays. He, he can get to the second level of defense and draw two and kick and swing. Like he's not just a guy standing in the corner. So, and the pick and pop stuff, you know, allows him, he can pop and catch and dribble into it, into a DHL. Like there's stuff that you can do with him. He's definitely a malleable skill skill guy. No, I, I think that's a great point that just because, like you said, I, I love how like, when you're a good shooter, it makes your first step a little bit quicker, you know, because guys have to close out to you and now they're out of control and, and it gives you an advantage. So anybody that's a good shooter, even if they're not a, a quote unquote great athlete, it's going to have a little bit of an advantage to then attack the basket off of that. I want to talk, you know, uh, the rest of the free agency for the Pistons revolved around bringing back their own guys. Um, you know, like I say, not a lot of big names outside of Detroit. So Corey Joseph, kind of a vet point guard presence. Hami Diallo as the athletic wing. Saban Lee, a young point guard. And Frank Jackson, um, a guy that a lot of Pistons see as an upside off-ball scorer. Is there one of those guys that you kind of really like, um, whether it's Hami Diallo as an upside, like I said, Frank Jackson as a scorer, any of those guys that you kind of are really intrigued by that the Pistons brought back? I like Hami Diallo. I, I mean, the connection with Trey Weaver from OKC is pretty obvious. You know, the Thunder moved him for the deadline because they knew he was going to want a lot of money and they didn't want to pay him. And, um, you know, he did. Like, he wanted um, – excuse me one sec. He wanted, um, he, he wanted like, $10 million a year. That, that was the number that was being floated around. Um, and and I, I do think there might even be a change of representation for him after, um, you know, that – that asking price where, you know, the number he ended up settling on, I think was five a year, right? He signed for 210. Am I, am I getting that yeah. correct? Um, so you get him on that number. That's a pretty, really strong value contract, I think, for somebody who has a lot of high upside. If the shot's there defensively, you can see what he can do with that body type and the ranginess he's got. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think there's... There's always guys like Ben McLemore, for example, was a highly touted, long, athletic, top prospect at a certain point, falls down to seven uh, in the draft 2013, kind of out of the league. But like he found his way as a, as a, as a reserve shooter, you know, so Hamadou Diallo has that same type of pe- pedigree where he was, you know, a top 10 type recruit prospect at a certain point in time. And there's still there's a reason, right? That reason hasn't gone away. So if you can have him develop and maybe scratch that surface with you. Yeah, take the gamble. 
So I, I want to touch on something else that you kind of brought up there specifically with Hami Diallo, Hami Diallo, and I hope this is okay, but you know, you talked about how it seemed like him or his agent or whatever maybe misjudged the market or I, I don't know, or, or maybe wasn't able to get him what he thought because I thought he was going to get something in the 10 plus million a year range also. And obviously it, it was like in the 10, two year, um, $10 million total. You know, we saw a couple other guys outside of Detroit awfully, obviously we don't have to get into those guys that were the they misjudge the market as well like was it what is that scenario how does how does that happen why does that happen um where a guy like Hami thinks he's going to be able to go get 10 a year and does his agent gave him the wrong information or how does that work how does that happen you know i think it's multifaceted i think first with in in the landscape of this particular summer there was just less cap space out there than i think people really thought and i think there were a ton of guys. Like Kelly Oubre thought he was going to get more money than he did, right? Like Rashawn Holmes thought he was going to get more money than he did. Like it was not just Dennis Schroeder. Like Hamid Diallo is another example. Like there's Paul Millsap thought he was going to get more than the veteran minimum, and then eventually when he realized there wasn't really much better opportunity, like sure, yeah, I'll go to Brooklyn and win a title. You know, there are a lot of guys out there who kind of misjudge. I think the market. Um, I think that's because there was opportunities. There were teams looking to spend, but. Only a couple of guys can, can can fill up that cap space, right? So I think in the case of Hamadou, also like generally a lot of teams with restricted type guys or guys off of their rookie deal or, or guys who are just like under 26 like that, like who aren't like top tier free agents, a lot of times their teams will say, just go get a better offer than this. And sometimes they just can't. And that's just what it is. Like the NBA – and life in general, but specifically in basketball, you get you don't get paid what you deserve. It's such a cliche, but you get paid what you're able yep. to negotiate. And if there just isn't a suitor out there interested in you, then the Pistons had no reason to pay him more than that. No, absolutely. Like I said I I was really surprised. I think he's back on a uh, like you said a really great contract. I thought he was going to get more. I'm I'm a huge Hami Diallo guy. I, I think there's a huge upside there, and I see a lot of it in his in his game. and And I'm excited to see uh, what we see from him this season. So let's talk about this season. And, and, you know, I think sometimes as Pistons fans, like we're very excited. There's a lot of hope right now in Detroit after how last year went, getting the number one pick. And, and we'll talk about some of those guys that maybe exceeded expectations and why we have so much excitement. But just looking at next year, where, where do you see this team, um, Jake, as, as just as an outsider, you know, someone who just covers the NBA in general? Like there's a lot of talk that, that maybe we could f- find our way into a play-in game or competing there. You know, you see a lot of the projections and it has the Pistons at the bottom of the East. Where would you lean more towards with this team? I mean, they, they could be a playing team. Like, it's certainly not. Like, there's a non-zero chance that happens. But, I mean, the, the, the East got a lot better. Char- Chicago's better. Charlotte's better. Uh, Miami got a lot better. The Celtics theoretically should be better. The Wizards, like, probably have a deeper team now, even though they might have taken a downgrade from the point guard position. The Pacers are hopefully going to be healthy and hopefully, you know, have more of a, a, a team chemistry and a better culture after moving on from Nate Bjorkman. The Raptors, the Cavs, the Magic, the Pistons, those are the teams that, like, I don't really know what to expect. Like, could Orlando be the worst of those teams or the best of those teams? Like, sure. I don't know. I mean, Kate, Kate Cunningham is one of these, you know, he gets compared to, like, Luca a lot, right, which I think is a little 
um, ridiculous, but he is a bigger guard who can control the floor and the entire game in a way that isn't splashy like that. He's not going to be scoring, I don't think, 30 a game pretty often, but he's more of like a Lonzo-type guy who just makes everybody better to the point where, yeah, like maybe he could lift them up a little bit and Kelly will help and everyone will be a year older. Um, Jeremy Grant continuing to take strides, but I think it's a massive uphill battle to get into the 10 seed. That means Orlando is going to have to be better than at least one. I mean, all of Toronto, Cleveland, and Detroit, and then they're going to have to be better than at least two of Charlotte and Chicago and Indiana and Washington. Like that's a tall task. Yeah, for I, I, and that's the thing you you keep hearing people say the East is better, the East is better, and and sometimes I feel like people say that, but then you look up and down that Eastern Conference and the teams that are actually in the Eastern Conference and what they did, and it really does look like that conference got better. And and I'm one of those who thinks that they can compete and maybe get there to a play-in game, but you know, whenever you outline it like the way you did, sometimes it it, it, it like you said, it's an uphill battle. You brought up Jeremy Grant though. I, I think he was a guy that that surprised a lot of people last year. You know, whenever that contract was signed. A lot of people said the Pistons overpaid, that Troy Weaver overpaid for Jeremy Grant. And now that looks like a really good contract and seems like every trade scenario, it's, you know, other teams trading for Jeremy Grant in that contract. You know, can you speak to what you thought when that signing happened and then the season that Jeremy Grant had last year? Did, did that surprise you what he showed last season? Didn't exactly surprise me. It was a bit surprising that he was able to maintain it for the full stretch and there was really no drop off, right? Um, but I, when I, when he, when I saw that contract get announced, I saw it as let's maybe overpay you now to the point where you'll perform to, to a degree that it's a fair value contract. And now someone can trade for you. That's what it seems like on the surface. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that teams are calling thinking they can get a hold of him. I don't think he's really been made too available. It sounds like it's going to, it would take a lot to get Jeremy Grant um, from teams I've talked to who have called about him. Um, but at, at this point, you know, I, I think we got to con- consider the context here and that he had a really great season putting up numbers on a very poor team, just like Christian Wood did before him. And um, there's just, there's certainly skeptics, I think, out there that he'd be able to do the same type of production in a more winning environment. Like, obviously, coming from Denver, he's shown he can be a starter and a top, you know, tier guy on, on a really good team. But is it more than, like, can he be a, a second best player on the team? Like, and this might sound cliche, but this is how executives and team builders talk about this. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's proven that yet. I think he. I think this season will be interesting to see. No, I agree. I I agree with you a hundred percent, Jake. I I don't think he's a number two guy on like a, a team that's competing for a championship and and. Um and so it'll be interesting because I think he'll have that chance. I don't know if Cade really becomes number one guy this year, you know, how that's going to play out. And so that's what 
do you see another step from Jeremy Grant? Because I, I do feel like maybe it was just the opportunity that he got last year. Like you say, on a team that wasn't very good, he got all the opportunities and that number one role. Do you think there's another step there? Like, I know there's always a chance, but like, I'm not sure there is. I don't, I don't think he takes a step into like a, a for sure all-star, uh, the number two guy. And, you know, do you see another one in a step or you think he kind of is who he is, kind of a number three, number four guy on a really good team? I mean, He's still only 27, so a lot of room to improve. Um, I, I think one thing to keep in mind is that on like lower usage rate, he was a much better – I'm looking at it now. He was a much better three-point shooter his last two seasons in OKC in 18-19 and his one year in Denver. Um, I didn't realize he only played one year there. I thought he had been such, just such a part of that culture. I, I felt he was uh, there for a bit, but yeah, um, you know – 38.9% in Denver, all, and then it drops down to 35. And that's not, I mean, it's league average, pretty good for your, your four-man, right? But if he can get that number back up to 39%, um, if he can get to the line more, that's where that's what really separates, I think, the star-type guys from the second-tier guys. Um, it's it's that ability to get to the foul line and, 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 to score, and to score those easy numbers that, I mean, if you can shoot... 80% from the foul line, which he does. He was at 84 and a half last year. He got the line 10 times. That's eight points a game. I mean, that, that's how these Joel Embiid, the Trey Youngs, the Lucas, the LeBrons, the KDs get to 30 points so easily because you look up and they've shot 10 free throws. So if, if, he, if he can do that, if he can increase his uh, percentage from three and if he can get to the line more and really you know be a force at, at the rim, play after play, getting those fouls called – um, you know, I, I, and, and then I think the next degree is also like creating more for others. I, I think um, at the end of the day, like guys who are playmakers, guys who can getting a bucket in this league isn't just on your own. It's can you make other people around you better? And I don't know if he does that yet either. No, that's I think that's what will be interesting. You know, it's I guess sometimes I feel unfair that I'm I'm jar- judging him too harshly because last year was his kind of first year in this role, and so now he got an off season to prepare better and learn from it and grow, and and so I shouldn't say that it, there isn't a chance for him. Obviously there is, but it will be interesting now that he's gone through a year of it if we see that improvement in the areas you just outlined, the efficiency, creating for others, getting to the free throw line. So I think it is very intriguing to see if he takes that next step. But before we move on and kind of look at the future, I've, I have a question about the future of the. I want to talk about last year's rookie class and, you know, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart. Was, was there one of those guys that really stood out to you that either just surprised you or just the way they played in general? Or maybe one of those guys you're looking at this year to take another step? Um, any, any of those three that really is intriguing? Sorry, you kind of cut out there on my end. Can you name the three guys again? Yeah, sorry. So just talking about the three first round rookies, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, and Isaiah Stewart from last season. And, and maybe which one of those guys intrigued you the most? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Sadiq Bey, first of all, I'm a little biased being that I grew up a Villanova fan and went to Villanova camp, but he's someone <laughs> he's someone that a ton of people, a ton of people on the league were trying to get this year, and the Pistons have a very high bar for him. Um, I, I think it's uh, I, I think he's one of the more valued players on the trade, like as a trade commodity. Let's say not to make this, um, you know, back into the. Sam Hinkie, uh, you know, 
the, 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 the validity of calling these guys asses. But at the end of the day, the NBA is a business, right? And you look at these guys on a mark, you look at the, the trade market as a marketplace with a finite market with 30 teams and a limited with cap and a certain number of money you're allowed to, you're allowed to play with. And Sadiq Bay is one of the most valued contracts in the league. He just is. Um, and, and a lot of people on other teams and, and I mean, everyone in Detroit, it sounds like are, are, extremely bullish on him, think he can become something pretty legitimate. And Isaiah Stewart, of course, is great as well. Like, no slouch on him. You know, I, I like all those guys. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, Sadiq Bey seems the one that, that, that people are most high on, you know, right now. And so it's it, I'm, I'm interested to see because it seems like those Nova guys, you know, they come into the NBA you know, ready right away. They're NBA ready after playing for Jay Wright and Villanova. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in this. Maybe you would disagree with me. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we're already seeing him closer to his peak. Would you agree with that? Like we're close, he's closer to his ceiling because of that, because he kind of comes in ready to go. Or, or would you disagree with that? Um, I, I, th- I don't know. I think it's a case by case basis. I think Villanova guys are just typically very prepared for the league themselves. Um, I mean, look at Jalen Brunson and Malik Bridges and Dante DiVincenzo became a starter quickly down to Kyle Lowry. Like, there's just... Um, those guys tend to be very prepared by Jay Wright, and that's also, I think, why Jay Wright is always considered to be a candidate for... You know, it seems like every summer, right, we're, we're, Jay, Jay Wright is announcing he's not interested in, in leaving Villanova to go to the NBA, right? So um, I think it's the combination of, of those factors. He's also just a, a, a man. Like, he's built. His body is, is pretty developed versus, like, a James Wiseman, right? He needs to spend a lot of time in the weight room versus Sadiq Bey's kind of already built for this. Yeah, I would. Agree. I think you know those three rookies, the two, you know, Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, obviously had the best rookie season, and and you kind of look at their bodies, and their bodies were more NBA ready, and and Killian Hayes, I, th- I think has, you know, if you look at last year, and then what we saw from him in summer league, just in terms of his body, like looks like he had worked on his body, and and, and maybe made improvements there. I, I agree with you. you know, Killian has a long ways to go. I know a lot of people are still very high on him, and 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 I am as well. I don't know that I see the ceiling a lot of people do, but I think he's the one that has the most approved this year but one final question here before I let you go Jake and that is you know what's the next step for this organization like if you're in Troy Weaver seat like are we just growing this young talent do you think that like you know they're do they need to go make a major move for you know we're talking about whether Jeremy Grant's a number two option or not um you know how far away is this team are they ready to make a major move like that or like I said do they just grow this young talent and kind of let it happen organically I think you know, look at Cleveland where they're maybe like a year. And obviously, they rebuilt more from a position of strength, but they kind of didn't. Like all they got back for Kyrie didn't amount to anything too, you know, significant, right? And uh, ended up, um, you know, LeBron just walked in for It's not like they are – uh, New Orleans, like getting back a bunch of picks from Anthony Davis, but they they've got Darius Garland and they've got Colin Sexton, and now they have Evan Mobley, and they made a nice move with Jared Allen. There's like a little talk about them, you know, needing to take just a step towards contention, like being a contender for the playoffs, not necessarily having to make the playoffs, but making it be like a realistic shot. You know, I think Detroit's a step below them, like. 
sure, it'd be great. But like I just said to your other question, is there really you know realistic expectation they could compete for the playing game? Sure, it's not implausible, but it's very unlikely, right? So I, I think there's still a tier below. To me, them and Orlando are kind of together in that they're they're a step behind everyone else, still still in a in a rebuilding mode here. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what. You know, I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We get excited. It, it seems like, I, I don't know what you think, but I feel like Troy Weaver's done a really good job so far in his time there with the draft and free agency. And I, But I, th- I think sometimes then you get impatient. You see these good things happening and then you want it to happen right now. And it, it may be better if we're just, you know, look patient with it. Like you say, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of teams to go through to, to really get to where we're competing in the playoffs or, or anything else. So I, I do have to ask though, Jake, real quick. So you said you were, do you remember? So the 0809 Villanova team that went to the Final Four, you know Dante Cunningham, uh, Scott. Do you remember that team? Yeah, Corey Stokes, Scotty Reynolds. Yeah. So we, so I played at American University. They actually that team ended my career in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you remember, but like we, you know, we were up at half. Like we shot lights out in the first half. You got up so, to like a to like a fifteen point lead. I remember. I I, I was playing through injury, so I, I just played a few minutes off the bench um, that season. I had torn my ACL and, and some different things, but yeah, we, yeah. But our two little guards and and yeah, I just whenever you brought up Villanova being a fan, I just had to bring that up. Uh, obviously, a huge fan of Jay Wright and everything they've done, but um, always stings a little bit whenever you know just because like I say they ended my career, but. Uh, you know, we played that. Sorry, I, I remember exactly where I was for that game because I remember we were, I was at an AU tournament. So I'm younger than you. Um, and uh, we were like racing to leave our second game. Like we asked the tournament director, can we get morning games to like get to the tournament? Because our whole team had tickets. We were racing there. My da- I remember my dad speeding down I 95 to get from someplace in like random Pennsylvania to the game and uh, I came in like right at tip off and we were behind the basket like up in the middle of the lower bowl and um, it was an awesome awesome game I'm sorry you guys lost it but also was excited to see the win but you guys deserve to to be remembered in NCAA tournament almost yeah no that I mean it was it was exciting you know and you know, at, like you said, at halftime, we had this big lead. And then it was kind of like the, the story of how those games go. You know, usually like Nova just wore us down eventually and and we stopped making shots. And, and that was a great team, obviously, as they went on to the final four. But it was a great environment because, you know, it, it was there in Philly. And so, right. Uh, yeah, it was there in Philly. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I just had to bring that up bef- before I let you go. So and, and ask if you remember that game. So that's kind of cool that you were there. But um, Jake, man, thank you so much. Uh, I would love maybe maybe down the road sometime during the season I can have you back and we can talk about how the season's going. And uh, not that everybody doesn't already know who you are, but just give you a chance to, to let everybody know where they can find you and, wh- and what you're doing. Thanks for having me on, man. And there's definitely people who don't know me, so I appreciate you giving me the platform to, to get to know those people. Um, for those who don't know, I'm, your, I'm an NBA reporter for Bleach Report. Uh, I came from Sports Illustrated first. And uh, my first book came out on May 4th. It's called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. It's about the Sixers and Hinky and the Celtics under Danny Ainge er, and uh, Brad Stevens and Orlando trying to rebuild from Dwight and the Suns rebuilding into the playoff you know, championship contender they are and some fun Giannis early Bucks stuff. Um, 
really crazy Sacramento Kings drama, the Lakers post or old Kobe years. Um, you know, so there's a ton of new original info in there. I talked to over 300 people for it. So if, if, if you're interested, I'd be available. It's unavailable on Amazon, bookshop.org. If you want to support a local bookseller, uh, Barnes & Noble, my publisher Triumph Books, and there's, there's a promo code FISHER30, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, my last name, 30. Uh, if you want 30% off the book at my publisher's website, Triumph Books. So thanks again for having me, man, and uh, good luck to your Pistons this year. I, I hope they make it an exciting attempt for the playing tournament. Absolutely, man. Thank you, guys. Make sure you check out that book. Just listening to Jake describe it, it's definitely one I want to check out. That sounds like a lot of really good stuff. And and thank you again to Jake. And, and as I always like to do, I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast each week. Obviously, without you, there would be no Motor City Hoops podcast. I'm constantly humbled by the amount of traffic traffic the episodes have gotten recently. I just want to make sure I always remember to let you know how much I appreciate each and every one of you. And a shout out for a couple new ratings and a positive review from Agent Sheriff Cooper Truman. Um, to try to get back on a schedule, look for a new episode to drop on Monday as I'll be joined by Anthony Bellino of the Michigan Sports Network, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.